0: Hey, everybody. Pastor Luke here. I hope you guys are having a great Sunday so far, and it's about to get even better as I've asked my good friend, Eddie Townsend, to bring the Word of God at all three services at South Beach Church today. Eddie Townsend and I have been friends for almost 15 years, and I've seen him grow closer to God, become more like Jesus, and serve people with every fiber of his being. Right now, he's one of the math teachers at Toledo High School. He coaches their basketball team as well. He's got a wife with three kids. A matter of fact, he just had his latest kid last week, last Sunday. Congratulations, Eddie and Katie Townsend, on your third child. Here's the deal, though, guys. I want you to stand up right now here at South Church. Right now, stand up. All y'all stand Uh, up and start clapping and hooting and hollering and cheer on my good friend, Eddie Townsend, as he brings you guys the Word of God. Love you guys. God bless you. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. Luke Luke has a way to do things, doesn't he? Wow. Yeah, we just had our third kid. Uh, By the way, this is a cool pulpit. It's pretty short. It'll work for me today, though. Uh, yeah, we just had our third kid. Um, pretty crazy. Um, Luke Ezekiel Townsend. You know, we, we for years, we, or not years, we were, for months, we were agonizing over his name. Well, what should it be? My wife really wanted Isaac. I kind of wanted Ezekiel. It's kind of a weird name. But I just thought, oh, what, what a great name. And we, uh, you know, I, I quizzed my leadership Class and sent videos to her, and they were all like, "Oh yeah, we want Ezekiel." And she had conned our kids with candy to be like, "We want Isaac." And so it it was a debate, and she had the baby. uh, She had him on Sunday, and uh, we didn't actually name him until I think Tuesday, right before we left. So Luke Ezekiel Townsend, and uh, we were so blessed. He's such a, a good spirit about him. Yeah. And uh, it's funny, you know. I, those of you that have kids, you know, you talk to people, maybe new, newly married people or people that don't have kids, and they're always like, what, "What's your parenting philosophy?" And I'm like, "Parenting philosophy? What are you talking about? Well, Yeah, what's your, what, what do you think about parenting? I'm, um, survival. That's it. I feel like Jack Bauer in 24, but I'm in three episodes at once every day. I got a zero, a two, and a four-year-old. They're all in diapers. I mean, my four-year-old's kind of like a Pharisee. He's always coming up with these different arguments of why he should be able to watch this show or have that candy bar. And that's what we're dealing with. And they're like, yeah, but what is your philosophy? I mean, come on. Just to make it through the day. That's it. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, you know, sometimes they'll ask, well, what's the difference between one and two and three kids? And I just say, and I think Luke told me this, and I totally agree. It's like, I feel like I'm Kevin Costner in the movie The, Guardi- the Guardian, you know, where you're, he's he's a uh, Coast Guard diver saving people. I'm in these 20-foot seas, and then somebody throws me a baby. It's like, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what it's like. So, yeah, we just had our third kid, and then, you know, we weren't sure. Katie was two weeks overdue, and uh, she did a great job. He came out healthy other than a broken collarbone, but that's fine. He's going to be an MMA fighter coming out. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm glad that uh, I got to teach today. You know, we're going to get through, if you guys have Bibles or you have a Bible app or whatever, go ahead and turn to uh, Luke chapter 14. I'll do that as well. I know Luke's been going through the gospel of Luke for quite a long time. I mean, I think when he started, I could still grow a full head of hair. <laughs> With, He started the book of Luke, you know, you couldn't hide inanimate objects in his beard. It was a little bit shorter at that point. So anyways, we're going to start at uh, verse 1 of chapter 14. And if you've been here, we talk, we go through the Bible, okay, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we get to learn about Jesus. That's it. We're about Jesus, if you didn't know, okay, and uh, I don't know everybody's walk, I don't know where everybody is, but... We're just going to learn about Jesus, and Luke has been doing a great job. You know, he takes his time. Sometimes he goes, he'll start at chapter 12, and he'll end at chapter 10. But my plan is to get through the rest of the book of Luke today. I promise you. Get to the book of Revelation by the end of the day. But here we are, Luke, verse 1, now it happened As he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus answering, spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent and he took him and healed him and let him go. Then he answered them saying, Which of you having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit will not immediately pull him out of the Sabbath day, on the Sabbath day. And they could not answer him regarding these things. I mean, the first thing you want to know is, I'm going to just set the table. The Pharisees, when you're reading through the Bible, I don't know if you make this distinction, but you got the chief priests, you got the scribes, you got the Pharisees, you got the Sadducees, you got the lawyers, you've got the rulers. And kind of if you clump all those guys in, the top dogs of all those guys, it's called the Sanhedrin. But these guys, the Pharisees, They weren't necessarily anybody that had any real sway, political sway with the Romans or with King Herod or really any law-abiding sway. But what they did have is they had um, a real zeal to do above and beyond what the law required. So you've got the Torah, which is, you have the Torah in your hand if you have a Bible. It's the whole Old Testament, the law, the prophets, everything in the Old Testament. That's the Torah. What they came up with is something called the Talmud. And the Talmud was uh, a, a number of rules, regulations, traditions that they normally held higher than even the scriptures. And so when you're seeing them follow Jesus around, you know, earlier in the book of Luke, Jesus and his, his brothers, you know, they're, or his disciples, are walking through a field and they grab some wheat and they start eating it. And the Pharisees drop in, you know, like Star Trek. And, uh, hey, why are you breaking the Sabbath? And they didn't get that Jesus wasn't breaking the the Sabbath, but he may have been breaking their rules and their traditions in the Talmud. Right here, the same thing. They invited him to this party on the Sabbath day to catch him. They wanted to get him in something. And why would they want to get him? I mean, he's doing all these great things. He's healing people. He's sharing the gospel. He's making blind people see. He's, uh, I mean, tons of things. Leprosy. He's healing leprosy. He's eventually he raises somebody from the dead. Why are they trying to catch him? Well, because crowds are following him, and he's taken their corner. He's taken their shine, and he, they, don't, they don't like it. They don't like what he's doing, and they're eventually going to be the ones that are a part of convincing the Romans to crucify him, and Jesus knows all this, right? He knows all of it. He knows who they are, what they're going to do, and he knows, I mean, these guys they're going to eventually lead me to my death, which is going to come. He's headed to Jerusalem. Luke said, you know, and it says prior that his face is set like flint to Jerusalem. They, he, he's going to his death in a week, roughly from this point. So if, when you read through the book of Luke, uh, chapter 14 through 17, it's all the same day. And we're about a week out from Jesus going to the cross and If you were a week out, and you knew you were a week out from dying, and there were these guys that they were going to be some of the main guys that would perpetrate and help in your demise and your slaying, and they invited you over for a dinner, I wouldn't be going. Would you be going? I wouldn't be going. I mean, these guys were judging him. They were uh, giving him grief at every turn, and uh, that's where we're at. They invite him, and he goes. He goes. Now, why would he go? Why would he go? Well, later on, there's a Pharisee that gets saved and really cha- is probably one of the main reasons you're here at church, a guy by the name of Saul, right? He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews, and he got saved. Jesus saved a Pharisee, and he changed the entire Western world, as you can see. We're at the, probably the farthest place you could be from Jerusalem, maybe not, but we're pretty far. We're on the very west coast of the United States. And we've heard the gospel, or we're you know we, we have a Bible in front of us. Well, that was a Pharisee. Jesus loved these guys to the end. And um, when you're thinking of these people that are going against Jesus, what I think of is I go back to First Corinthians 13. And if if you know it, great. They they normally use this for uh, you know a wedding or something. But I think of Jesus. Going against the Pharisees as enemies. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Love never fails. This is it talking about, well, it is. It is talking about maybe an argument you have with your wife or, you know, you've got your boss or whatever and they're, they're... coming down on you. I think of Jesus is going to dinner with these guys that are going to eventually lead him to his death. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to just bear with these guys. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep teaching them. Now, he does have harsh words for him, but he still goes. And I think that, you know, as we read through this, you're going to be one of, you, you need to have that mindset of, you know what? I'm not just going to, you know what I'm talking about. You're walking in Fred Meyer. You see somebody maybe You don't like someone, oh, I got to get, what's this? I got to get this, right? No. Be like Jesus. His enemies, right, he's going to have dinner with them. He's going to talk with them. And these guys are hyper-religious. And there's two things that I think I want to just point out that I think of when I think of religious people that... Uh, and if something hits you or you automatically think of somebody else, maybe turn the camera around and think of yourself, there's two things that we see with religious people. And I mean, there's a thousand things, but I'm just going to bring up two. Um, number one, they're defined by what they're against. And you can go on a list and a tirade of all the things you're against. And well, this is, I'm a Christian and this is what we're against. This, that. Well, instead, why don't you always be, instead of the negative camp be in the positive camp, what are you for? Who are you for? Well, we should be for the gospel. We should be for the furthering of the kingdom. We should be for love. Who should you be for? Well, first of all, we should be for Jesus. Pro Jesus, yes. Latter, after that, we should be for the widow, the orphan in their time of need right here in James um 127 Says pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this: to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. I remember uh, about twelve years ago, I uh, went to this pastor training school down in the desert of Mexico with John Corson, and um, they had all these verses. You'd go to the bathroom and you'd be sitting there, and there'd be verses on the door, and one of them was this. You're an undefiled religion before the God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their time of need and keep yourself unspotted from the world. That is true religion. Religion isn't making a bunch of boxes and checking them and being like, I'm righteous, I'm good, I'm going to heaven because I've done all these things. For God, it's actually, hey, I want to see it, it indeed. I want to see you going to the, the like Luke would say, the guttermost And I want you to go and serve them. And he talks more about it. Second thing religious people are about is they will not allow themselves to repent. And I think we're all like this at at different points. I mean, instead, you go to somebody that's religious and say, hey, I see this, this, and this, whether it's a sin or a fault. And they say, well, and they deflect it. Well, that's not me. Or they'll turn it around on you and attack your character. And I think really what they need to do is just apologize. Just say, yeah, that's my bad. I'm sorry. And that's what the Bible teaches teach you throughout. Well, right here in uh, verse 2, says, or ex- the end of verse 1, and they watched him closely. That's a watching like a, a cougar would watch its prey, just kind of looking around, prowling around, looking for some way that they could catch Jesus to turn him in. That's all they want to do. They want him out of there. And behold, there was a certain man before him, before him who had the dropsy. I'm going to name this guy Dropsy Dan. Dropsy Dan rolls in. He probably wouldn't normally be invited, but right here we know that because he was invited, they, it was a setup. They wanted to get him, and Jesus knew this, and he rolled in anyways. He heals the guy, and it says, and Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Who's he answering? Did anybody ask any questions? He, no. Nobody asked any questions, but he knew their thoughts, and he answered them. And it reminds me of a story in um, the book of Revelation. The apostle John, he wrote the epistle, or excuse me, the gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and he wrote the book that we're going to be going through after Luke, the book of Revelation. And then around the ch- the, uh, chapter 7, he's caught up in the spirit, and God's handing out all these judgments on the earth, and then there's these guys in white robes. And I think John, it doesn't say anything, but John's sitting there and he's in heaven. He's caught up in the spirit. And uh, one of the heavenly elders comes up and, sit, and it says that he answered him saying, who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? And John goes on, I don't know, you tell me. And I think it just shows you a picture. If you want to be in ministry, if you want to be a leader, a prophet if you want to be somebody that propels the gospel, you need to be an initiator. You can't wait back, sit back and wait for somebody to ask you or wait for somebody to, hey, could you tell me a little bit more about Jesus? What I've found out through my many years of uh, following the Lord is if you want to be used by the Lord, sometimes you've got to be the initiator. You've got to be the one that goes out and starts the conversations, that asks the questions, that get, gets the ball rolling. And you see it right here with Jesus. He's answering spoke to the lawyers and said, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Well, if they said yes, it is lawful, then their plan is spoiled. If they say no, then they're actually not fully going through with the law. And you can go through that in the book of Numbers. It talks about how if you see a situation like this, you're actually supposed to help. You can actually break the Sabbath if you're healing. And even now today, if you have a a Jewish doctor who's observing the sabbath and there's somebody that life or death they need help they they can break the sabbath quote unquote and work and save these people well be that as it may he took him he healed him he let him go he said get out of here then he answered them saying which of you having a donkey or an ox in other translations or a son who had fallen into a pit will not immediately put him uh, pull him out on the Sabbath day, and they could not answer him regarding these things. I mean, can you imagine this? So they're, they're just, what? how can we get Jesus? And he's like, hey, so if your son falls into a pit, you know, he falls into a pit, yeah. oh, Johnny, I'm so sorry, I can't get you. Oh, why'd you have to fall in on the Sabbath? No, I'll get you tomorrow. It's so ridiculous. Of course you're gonna dive in and grab your son, Right? doesn't matter if it's a Thursday or a Saturday. It's a good thing to grab your son so he doesn't die. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to do that, why isn't it okay for me to heal on the Sabbath? Is healing doing work? Well, he healed him, let him go. And, and it says they could not answer him regarding these things. And that's normally how it is, right? Whenever they go up against Jesus, they say, oh, I've got these great ideas. I've got these, this great reasoning of how we can get him. He always answers them. Well, moving on, verse 7 so he told a parable to those who were invited. When he noted how they chose the best place, the best place is saying to them, "When you're invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man." And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place. So that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So what's Jesus hitting on here? I think it's pride. Pride. The evil, pernicious, vicious pride. And why is God so against pride? You know, in our culture, we use pride as a virtue, self-help, self-actualization. It's all about me, self-esteem. We need to grow self-esteem and it's bad. You know, everybody needs an award. Everybody needs to be patted on the back. Everybody's view needs to be heard and respected and it's all rooted in pride. Well, Jesus right here, he's just saying, you know, I don't. It's, first of all, you're going to get humbled. If you're not humble, you will be humbled. And if you, try to, if you want exaltation, just choose the humble route. And God hates pride. You know, C.S. Lewis said that pride is the mother of all sins. And it's the, origina- the original sin of, of Satan. And you can read about that in Ezekiel, Isaiah, 1 Timothy, that you had Satan, Lucifer. He was the chief worship leader in heaven, right? He was just adorned beautiful, and he started to, instead of looking at God, he looked at himself, and God said, oh, and he tried to take some of the glory of God, and God had to banish him out of heaven, and that's the origin of sin, is actual pride, where we take our eyes, and our focus, and our exaltation off of the Lord, and we start to put it on ourselves. and if you go through all of the Ten Commandments, and it's like, well, what is the root of doing all these things? It's self reliance, right? Pride, that's the root. So, moving on, the moral of the story here be humble. That's it. Just be humble. And right after, you're gonna see this in a couple chapters. In Luke 18, Jesus spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves. That they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself God, I thank you that I am not like all these other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus flips the script on what we think. Like, we should be climbing this ladder of success. We should be climbing this ladder, checking these boxes of religion. But Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Let's flip that on its head. The lower you go, the higher you go. The more you serve, the more you'll be exalted. The the better leader you shall be. And that's what Jesus is harping on here. Well, moving on, verse 12. Then he also said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you should be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So now he's talking about generosity. So he started with the Pharisees, then he went to the guests, then he, now he's going to the guy that invited everybody. First of all, your motive of inviting me was wrong, but let me tell you about all these other people you invited. Can you just imagine, put yourself at this dinner. First he goes off on the religious leaders. So let's say that we had a, bit, a, bit, a huge banquet here, and the guy's like, hey Luke, let me, uh, go, let me tell something to you and all your buddies, right? And then he goes to you guys, the guests, and he just goes off on you. And then he goes to the host, whoever invited him. He says, hey, when you invite people, don't invite people so that you can get something in return. And I think there's a couple things. I know Luke doesn't talk too much about generosity. They don't pass a plate here. I'm not a paid pastor. I'm not on staff or anything. But I do think that an education about generosity is a good thing. So there's a couple things. Why should we be generous? And I know that the text doesn't necessarily say be generous, but it does. Be generous to these people that never get generosity. But I think you should also be generous towards God. And the, the main reason, the core answer of why you should be generous towards God is Jesus. He's our core example. When he gave everything, that's an example of what you should be, how you should be generous. What it, it says in 1 John 3, this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us love in word not in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So you've got that's the core. Why should we be generous? Why should why should I give of my income, my talents? My treasure. Why should I give of my time? My time is my most important thing. Why should I give of that? Well, if you're a Christian, because Jesus did, he's our example. And second, God challenges you as a Christian to give. Okay, I don't know if you knew this, but God actually, he only makes one wager in the whole Bible. He challenges you. In Malachi, if you've read it, if you've got your Bible, you can turn there Malachi 3. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you, God? So God is saying, hey, will a man rob God? Are you going to rob me? Well, how have we robbed you? I don't get it. And he says, in tithes and offerings. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour out such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your own sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of the ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field. He says, try me now on this. Try me, try me. What do you mean? He's saying, hey, I bet you that if you give by faith, what is a tithe? What is an offering? Well, biblically, it's 10%. Whether that's before taxes, after taxes, that's on you. You can pray about it. But God's, and I'm not saying that you need to do this. I'm just saying that God is challenging you in the Bible, by his word, he's saying, try me now in this. Bring the tithes and offerings into the storehouse. What does that mean? It could be your local church. For me and my wife, it's, we support numerous kids and compassion and uh, children of the nations. We support uh, Bibles going out in latter parts of the world. And we also support the local church. However that looks for you, you just got, I mean, that's between you and the Lord, Right? But he's saying this, he's saying, try me now on this. First of all, I'm going to open up the windows of heaven on you. What that means, you're going to be blessed spiritually, you're going to be blessed materially. But more than that, he also says, I'm going to rebu- rebuke the devourer. And some of you, and I've, I'm in this situation at times, and I'm sure you've been in it, where you pay the bills and you do this and you do that, and where'd the money go? It's like you got holes in your pockets, Right? He's saying, hey, that flat tire where you had to get some new tire, that's not going to happen. When you've got this extra bill, you just got pulled over, that's not going to happen. You are going to be blessed. The windows are going to be poured out on you. And not only that, but the devourer is going to be rebuked. So what do I have to do? Just give. And a perfect example of this is the widow. You remember the widow. You know the story. Jesus is sitting there at the temple, and he's seeing all the... Rich people come and give of their abundance. And then this poor widow comes and gives two mites, the, the widow's offering. And he says, oh, there it is. She gave of everything. Is God asking you to give of everything? No. He's just asking you to give. And right here, I think the other thing is, give anonymously. You don't always have to be, I mean, I know there's tax purposes to be like, oh, yeah, I, I gave. But also Give anonymously. You know, go on GoFundMe and give money to people, but do the anonymous button so they don't know. Nobody knows. Who gave a thousand dollars? Jeez. God knows, and you will be blessed. I'm going to give up some of my uh, heavenly rewards because nobody knows this except for my son and my wife, but the other day, you know, I've been studying for a couple weeks now, and uh, the other day we were driving. We drove up to McDonald's. Kids had to go to the bathroom. We got a, a couple drinks, and there's a guy there. He had a sign. He said, hey, I need food. And so I was thinking, oh, this will be great. So I took my son into McDonald's. We got everything we were going to get. And he didn't know, but I ordered an, an extra, um, you know, Big Mac meal or whatever. And I said, all right, Eli. He's four. I said, we're going to go give this to this guy. He needs food. Um, and I want you to say, God bless you. And Eli is super talkative. I don't, if you know my son, Eli, he's like, He's like a rabbinical teacher. We go through the Bible every night, and I'll say something, and he's like, well, you know, the, the Lord doesn't say that, and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we're walking up, and I'm expecting you know, him to be very vocal, and we go give food to this guy, and my son, he just, he's, and he couldn't say anything. He said, hey, this is in Jesus' name. God bless you, and we walk off. And I said, what do, you think Jesus, or what do you think, Eli? And he's like, that felt good. And I mean, we're going through a time with Eli where it's like, hey, can I get this toy? Can I get that toy? We just got a toy. We were just in Walmart, and he, had, he earned some money. And we go take him, and he gets this big dinosaur, and it's got this car, and we're taking it. And he's going to go buy it, and, and we're in line. And then in line, right there, there's like another smaller toy. And he's like, can I have this too? And I'm like, no, we're just doing one. And he's, ah. and we're like, well, which one do you want? And he's like, oh, I'll take the small one. And my wife and I and the lady in line in front of us were like, wow, you're going to trade this huge toy for this little tiny one? Okay. Well, we've been battling that, but, he, and he's got tons of stuff, right? You know how it is with your kids. You just, oh, and then family members, grandma, aunt, everybody's bringing toys. And it's like, hey, can we get these toys out of here? We've got nowhere to put the toys. We hide them on top of the shelves, you know, under the sink. And... Uh, he just said, you know, I felt good. And that's how, God, that's a secret of the kingdom. Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. And that's what God wants you to do. He wants you to be generous, okay? Generous to your local church, generous to people all around town, all around the county. And if you're gonna host a party ladder, the last thing, invite people that you normally would invite. I know it'd be, it might be awkward. It might be one of those You know, moments, but Jesus said, You're going to be blessed. When the Bible says you're going to be blessed, believe it, right? So, those people that you normally would invite, invite them. And not for gain. Oh, this guy, he can boost me socially. He can boost me financially. No, don't think about that stuff. He can boost me kingdomly. In the kingdom, I'm going to be boosted. I'm going to be blessed. I'm going to be enriched. Do that. Moving on, verse 15. Now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they, all with one accord, began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask that you have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind." And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. So why do these people not want to come to God? The invitation has come out. But for some reason, something inhibits them from coming to the feast. And this is a picture Jesus is giving you a picture of the feast that you see in Revelation 19. The marriage supper of the Lamb. You can think of the biggest party you've ever seen or been a part of. And Jesus is ready to throw a bigger party. He is preparing one of the biggest parties you can ever even imagine. And that's his very own wedding party. And there's an invitation that's going out. And there's three main things, three lame excuses of why people can't go, why they can't come. The first invitation comes and in people's, first you got possessions. The, oh, I bought a piece of land. I got to go check it out. So think about this. This feast is probably at night in the story, right? There's a feast at night. And some dude, he was invited. He's like, you know, I bought this piece of land. I didn't ever go check it out. You tell me, are you going to buy a piece of land? Are you going to buy a house without looking at it? I'm not. Are you going to go buy a piece of land without looking at it? And if you do go look at it, is it going to be at night? You know, I I know you're inviting me, but I got to go check out this piece of land tonight. Okay. Second guy, five yoke of oxen. A yoke of oxen, that's like buying, as a farmer, that's like buying a tractor and a combine. And you got all this. Are you going to buy all that stuff without looking at it? at night, you're going to go check it out. Oh, I don't know. Kicking the tire. No, you're not going to do that. You're going to go investigate it. Well, this is, oh, I don't like this part of the land. Is there water here? Where are we going to put the septic? Or is there hookups or whatever? When it comes to buying a tractor or you know how it is. I know you guys have bought in cars. You're online, you know every little detail. Well, I don't know. the 2017 to the 2016, they got a new engine and they got this and they got that. And I like these components, it's got a moonroof. Oh, look at these pictures. Oh, I don't like that. Oh, is that a rip in the seat? That's a rip in the seat. This guy, he just bought it and then he's going to go check it out at night. He's not coming to the party. And the third one is probably the most ridiculous, which is, oh, I just married a wife. I can't come. And people are making these excuses of why they can't come into the kingdom. And meta-narratively, he's also relating this to the Jews, right? The Orthodox Jews, the Pharisees. That's who he's talking to. The Sadducees, the scribes, the chief priests who think they know the scriptures. And God is, they, they knew that God was going to break in to human history. At some point, the Messiah was coming. They knew. And Jesus is like, hey, I'm here. And they they rejected it. They made excuses of why Jesus wasn't actually the Messiah, why they couldn't come to the party. Well, you see these excuses all the time, right? Oh, I got a boyfriend. I got a girlfriend. I just graduated. I got to go to college. I got to get the right GPA. I just got a job. I'm climbing the ladder. Oh, I, well, this is, our, this is our selfish time. You know, we don't have any kids, or the kids just left, this is, a, we wanna go travel. Or I, I gotta go see the season 28 of The Bachelor. I gotta watch it. Man, I just picked up surfing, I just picked up knitting. I just got a hobby, I've got a, I, I gotta go gas up the truck and the boat for the fishing trip next weekend. Whatever the case is, what are your excuses? What are the excuses that you have, right? For not coming to the feast, and then he hands out a second invitation, and going going to that uh, that same meta narrative view. You had the Orthodox Jews that knew the law, and then he sends out the second invitation. These are the the guys that and the gals that Jesus hung out with the harlots, the wine bibbers, right the drunkards, the tax collectors. And Jesus goes out and he collects all those people. He says, hey, let's get all these people. But still, the banquet's not full. The feast isn't full. So God says, okay. Well, do you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna then call in the Gentiles. And that's us. If you're not a Jew, you're not Jewish, excuse me. If you're not Jewish, guess what? You're a Gentile. And thank God that he then says, you know what? I'm going to go out and get the the, the guttermost. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to get them. I'm going to collect all these people that believe outside of the family of the, the Jews. And that's where we're at. Is that God was going to break in. They didn't accept him. They rejected him. He went to the cross and now he's going for the Gentiles. And that's us. And the Bible says when the fulfillment of the Gentiles comes, boom, revelation begins. And that's where we're at. We're somewhere of the filling up. I just think of a big cup of all these people just filling up. And it's pretty soon when the church is full and the banquet's full and he closes the door, we're, hopefully you're involved. Hopefully you're a part of it. So right here it says, the last thing I want you to see on this is that go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come that, I'm, that my house may be filled. Verse 23, compel them, compel them compel them. If you're a Christian, God wants you to be a letter. He says that the word of God is written on your hearts. You're a letter to the world. You should be, your life should be a letter to people compelling them to come into the kingdom. You know, it's not necessarily about what you say, But it is how you live. You should be compelling people to come into the kingdom. Come on in. Everybody's accepted. Everyone, come in. This is awesome. And people, they they won't, right? But your job is to be that letter, to be a written epistle from God to people. Well, moving on, verse 25. Now, great multitudes went with him. And he turned and said to them, so right here. He just left the party. So he's at this, this, this banquet, this dinner, whatever, on the Sabbath. He goes after the Pharisees. He goes after the guests. He goes after the host. He goes after the guy that says, blessed, right? The guy that speaks up. He goes after everybody. So if we're at this party, he goes after everybody. And then he's like, eh, it's time to leave. So he leaves. And all these people are following him. I don't know if they were outside or they were in the party. and I mean, that would be awkward, right? He's calling out everybody. He's like, all right, time to leave. He leaves. And then all these people get up and leave with him. So he's walking along. He said, great multitudes went with him. And he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest... Whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. You know, when I think of this, um, I don't know if any of you guys are football fans of any kind, maybe you're Oregon Duck fan or Oregon State Beaver fan. I kind of relate to the Oregon State Beavers, the, the fans, you know, because I'm a Buffalo Bills fan, okay? Yeah. People are like, what? This is great. Buffalo Bills. If you don't know anything about what I'm talking about, it's fine. Just think of the Oregon State Beavers. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the Buffalo Bills, man. When I was a little kid, I remember starting to watch, we were watching the NFL playoffs and uh, Jim Kelly and Thurman Thomas, and they're going to Super Bowls, and they went to four straight Super Bowls, and I, was, I got in like the first Super Bowl, I was maybe a second or third grader, and it was like, oh, Buffalo Bills, I had like the Jim Kelly, you know, I was Jim Kelly for Halloween one year, wearing the outfit. They went to four straight Super Bowls. They lost every one. But I'm a Buffalo Bills fan. I got a Buffalo Bills hat. I got a Buffalo Bills shirt under this shirt. I'm a Buffalo Bills fan. I'm not going to quit. When I was a little kid, I, I, I didn't count the cost. But I do remember thinking, I'm a Buffalo Bills fan. Well, now, yikes, I'm a Buffalo Bills fan. Jeez. <laughs> I mean, they didn't make the playoffs for like 30 years, right? It seemed like. They finally made it this year, and they're like, oh, we made the playoffs. Let's get rid of our quarterback. But uh, I mean, it's kind of how the the Ducks are going to be now. Chip Kelly left, and people are trying, oh, no. No, I'm just joking. But you've got to count the cost. You can't quit. Don't quit. Don't start, and then you can't quit. You cannot quit. You can't quit the walk. You can't quit the Christian Christian walk. You start following Jesus. It's like, yeah, I made the decision. And then turn around and walk away. And that's what Jesus is saying. It's not a one-time decision. The Christian walk is not a one-time decision. You didn't say, hey, babe, I love you. I love you. Will you marry me? She's like, yes. All right, see ya. You know, that wasn't how it was. It's like, I want a lifelong trek with you. I want to go through the ups and the downs and the arounds and all that stuff, and I'm going to commit to it long-term. I'm just going to go, and I'm going to keep going, and I'm going to go one step in front of the other, one day after the other, and it's going to be hard. It's going to be great. We're going to have okay times, and we're going to have melancholy times, and we're going to have these amazing times. But no matter what, I'm not quitting. And that's what God's saying. Hey, don't quit. Keep going. Keep going. And what you're seeing here is God has, there's a difference here. Okay, there's salvation. You can be saved. Well, how? Believe. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do to bring salvation. And that's the crazy thing. You've got all these religions. You go through all the religions. I took a religious studies class in college. And there was, you know, there's all these religions. And every single one of them is, what can you do to accomplish something, to reach nirvana, to reach enlightenment, to please Allah, whatever. What can you do? And that comes first. And that brings salvation. Can you imagine that pressure if that was your life? And maybe it is here today. If you're a Christian or you want to be a Christian, you're thinking, oh, but I can't do all this stuff. You don't have to. That's not the point. And that's what Paul said. If you go to Galatians chapter two, he says that it's not about the law, the keeping of the law. It's about your faith in Jesus. That's it. What do you mean, my faith in Jesus? I'm saying that the Bible says that God became a man. First of all, that's crazy. My son Luke was just born. I thought Jesus was like this, helpless. You draw, you know, that God became a man. He entrusted himself to Mary, and Joseph, and they brought him up. He became a man. God, the Bible says that he became a man and lived a perfect life. He was tempted in all ways, yet without sin. So every single way that you can think that a man can be tempted, the Bible says he was tempted in every single manner possible. He was tempted in every way, yet he never sinned. Can you imagine that? No, because you're, you, you, I mean, we all sin every day. It's like, ah, oh, shoot, again, shoot, Again. Shoot, it's like Groundhog Day. Every day, I'm sinning, trying it again. Alarm, alarm. And it says that he never sinned. And then, about a week from here, he goes into Jerusalem, and an innocent man, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, that he, God, the Father, Made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to become sin, that those who believe can have, can become the righteousness of God. You want to be righteous? You want to be seen by God as righteous? Die. 100% of us are going to die. And I, you know, I'll go up and teach the Sunday school class, and I say the same thing to them. You don't know. I always use the analogy, or I always use the picture. You could be driving across the bridge and there's an earthquake and you fall off into the bay. And they're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I always think of that when I'm driving over the bridge. Please don't let the earthquake happen now. <laughs> I'm always thinking of how I can bust out of my truck. You know, like, okay, so if I'm going down and we're going down, I got to roll my window down. And then I, right as we hit the water, I got to jump out. And then I'm thinking, but then if the bridge is coming down, no, but (laughs) hey, I'm a math teacher. A hundred out of a hundred, that's a hundred percent, 100%, very rare, very rare, unless I'm shooting free throws. No, it's very rare. hundred percent are going to die. You are a part of that. One hundred out of one hundred are going to die and you're going to meet the Lord. Whether you are a Christian or not, whether you're an atheist or not, whether you are an enemy of God or not, you are going to meet Jesus. And the only question he's going to have for any of us, I firmly believe, is, what did you do with my son? What did you do with my son? Did you believe? Well, no, I did give a tenth of everything I had. I did, I did fast. Fast. I did go to church every Sunday. I gave to the poor. I went to the soup kitchen. I went on mission. I checked all the boxes. Eh, that's secondary. What did you do with my son? Because he did the work. The Bible says that your, the best work that you can have, the best work that you can do to please God is like bloody underwear to God. Just think about that. Just, oh, It's so sickening to God because you're you're like, look, look at what I've done. God's like, no, I've done it in Jesus. I did it. I lived a perfect life. All you have to do is look. It's like that story in the Old Testament. All these, the children of Israel, they're getting bitten by snakes and people were dying. And Moses goes to God and says, God, please help us. And God says, okay, I want you to put a bronze snake on a stake and lift it up. And anybody who gets bit by a snake, if they just look at that snake, healed immediately. And that's exactly how it is today. That's exactly how it is. If you just look to the cross and believe in your heart, the Bible says that all men have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm going to have the worship team come up. All men have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that righteousness only comes through Jesus. For we have been saved by grace. Grace, unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't garner it. And you're probably thinking, as a Christian, you failed. As a non-Christian, you fail. And you're thinking, But, but Eddie... I've gone places I shouldn't have gone. I've walked places I shouldn't have gone. It's fine, because they nailed Jesus to the cross. The stake went through his feet. Yeah, but you don't understand. I've touched things I shouldn't have touched. It's okay. They put nails in his hands, too. But I've seen things. I've said things. I've heard things. ought not to have happened. That's fine. When they put that thorn, that crown of thorns on his head, hammered it down, blood streaming down his face. He took care of that. But But I've turned my back on the Lord. That's okay. They took care of that too. When they whipped his back to shreds. Hamburger meat. Unrecognizable They put him up on the cross. And if you have belief that God himself came into human history, he bust into human history, and he lived a perfect life, and he got up on that cross, and he died, and they buried him, and then he rose again from the dead. If you confess with your mouth, the Bible says in Romans 10, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that he rose again from the dead. Did he rise from the dead? Do you believe that? you shall be saved and you shall be a part of the kingdom so I'm going to pray for you guys Lord I just pray for all these guys all these gals as they stand and as we open up the table of communion Lord we just ask that you would bless our hearts you'd bless our minds you'd bless our souls to walk with you to live for you to be passionate for you. And I just pray that you'd help us, Lord, help us to walk with you. And for those that may not have a saving faith in Jesus, and you want to have a saving faith in Jesus, yes, I've I've done those things. I've gone those places. I've seen those things. I've touched those things. Hey, Lord, I pray for those people. I pray that they would have a saving faith in Jesus. And for those people that have been Christians, are Christians, that are walking with you, Lord, help us to be disciples. Help us to count the cost. Help us to walk in a way that is worthy of your calling. Help us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling.